behold, Christmas is upon us, is it not? Woo, you guys are like, yes. Our students are like, we're almost done with our exams. I made a very grave mistake in first service and said that you were done. And uh, woo, man, I tell you what, I don't know where all these tomatoes came from, you know, kind of thing. But um, you're almost done with exams. Us adults, we're going back to work again. (laughs) Nothing changes. Okay. Uh, But we're excited for Christmas. Uh, A wonderful season in the church, too, to celebrate uh, we're pumped for it. And this word behold was kind of like dropped in my spirit, if you will, uh, probably a month and some change ago. Does that ever happen to you? You feel like God just like speaks a word, not like God speaks a word, but like you get this like, you, a word just pops in. You're praying, you're listening to a worship song or something, and the word pops up. Well, this is one of those words for me when I was thinking about what's, what's Christmas this year? What are we doing? Last year, we talked about dwell. You know how the Lord came and made his dwelling among us. But this year, it's behold. Say it, Behold. Say it in your deepest voice possible, man. Behold. Ladies, you, it was good too. I tell you what, we, had, we could like sing together, all right? But when you think of this word, okay, I like, I like to look how like Webster defines stuff because I think that makes sense, right? Because uh, meanings to words are so important. If we were to look to Webster quickly, you would see him say, to gaze upon, to observe, to perceive, through sight or apprehension, like anxiety or fear that something bad or unpleasant will happen. You know, get anxious, worry, unease, or nervousness, but also to gain an understanding or to grasp. Now, when we look at the manger, right? You see that before you, Jenna, awesome job on the design there with the creative team. You see the, yep, you see the manger, and you think, yes, baby Jesus. You know, that's what people think. They get so excited because it's like, yes, Jesus, baby Jesus is here. But this was the beginning of the end. This manger was symbolic of death from the beginning because God sent his only begotten son by way of this manger. So when we think about this, we have to get a grasp. We have to understand that it's not just this thing of beauty, but it's also something that grounds us in our faith, uh, this understanding that this was the vehicle to the end and that Jesus came during Christmas so that he could die during Easter. And I'm not, you know, you know what I mean by that? That doesn't necessarily apply on the timeline, but in the church, this was the beginning of the end. And this word behold in scripture, let's look at it from that side. Is very important because this word means, look, listen, don't miss it. Don't miss this. And you guys know with Christmas, we get pretty busy, don't we? If you don't think Christmas time is busy in Morgantown, just go up to University Town Center. Make sure you're in like a 1947 tank, a Wurlitzer, because you're going to, whatever the name of that is, you're going to get run over. I'm telling you what, people are cray to the cray. So very few times during this season do we stop long enough to look and behold what God is saying to us. And in scripture, we see this when when God would say, behold, through the holy word, you would see that there was something in and around it that he wanted to get our attention about. One of those statements came from John the Baptist. Love this guy. Okay. You've heard me talk about him before, but one of those statements came from him in John 1 29. And we see it. The next day, John the Baptist, excuse me, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, behold, listen, watch, get this. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, I love, I love when I read the word, I look at it as, as a big story. 
I look at it as a big story with a lot of connecting parts here. And you know, around Christmas time, you see a lot of trailers come out, right? For new movies that are coming out, right? If you could see the trailer for John the Baptist's life, this is what it would say. Look, the Lamb of God has come. Look, this is the one. So what we're gonna do today is take a moment and play out the whole movie together. We're gonna look at the life of John and understand him a little bit better, but also look at things that we can glean from his life that will help us today, all right? So who was John the Baptist? Some of you already remember this. Remember the original hipster, the guy out in the woods, out in the desert, didn't know how to, not original hipster in this sense, but he was a guy that was not a bather, not someone that would wear nice and clean pressed clothes and all that. He was someone that had dreadlocks, if you will, just jamming to some Bob Marley out there, which he wasn't there. But I, this is how I picture him in the story. So you see him in the trailer come up. There's John the Baptist out in the desert wearing whatever it is, okay, doing his thing, all right, getting everybody ready for this Messiah to come. Okay, so you see this background. John was the son of a priest. He was the son of a preacher, man. He was a priest's son, okay? Also, his mama, all right, was amazing too, but a lady that was known to be barren wasn't able to have children, okay? His mom was cousins with Mary, Jesus' mama. This is getting, you see the story? It's, it's really, the plot is thickening, isn't it? Aren't you just in this now? Are you excited about it? So we see this guy, John the Baptist, very important, very important because he was the one that was in the desert, you hear it later, the voice in the desert crying out, preparing the way for the Lord. So there's some things that we're going to glean from his story. And his story takes place on, in multiple gospels, if you will. And it's one big story, chronological, but we're going to jump around just a little bit between and it'll make sense in the end, okay? So the first thing we want you to get, the first thing we want you to look for when you look in the life of John the Baptist is God's divine involvement. God's divine involvement. This is what Christmas is about, okay? God's divine involvement. You see Luke 1, 11 through 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Who is him? Zachariah, okay? Because remember, he was a priest. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Again, a lot of times when angels showed up in biblical history, wasn't too good, all right? Showed up, was gripped with fear, Okay, but the angel said to him, this is Gabriel, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What is the prayer? Here it is. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call him John. Not Zechariah, John, okay? The other side of this is another divine involvement we see with Mary. Luke 1, 28 through 33. The angel, Gabriel, again, went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. She's like, I am just a teenage girl engaged to be married to Joseph. Do you know him? He's not very special. What do you mean I'm favored? Okay. So the angel shows up, gets a little scary. I'm sure for her as well, as you can tell. All right. She was greatly troubled by this at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. God was going to give her baby Jesus, but yet she was a virgin. If you live long enough, you know how that works. This is divine. We see God do the divine on John's behalf, and we see God do the divine on Jesus' behalf, but also these players that were in the story with them. 
God is looking to show up in your life during this season in divine ways. But you have to be willing to be in the right place to hear it, right? You have to be willing to be in the right place to see it. You got to be willing to be open to his divine involvement in your life. I love how they respond to this. Mary is like this in 137 of Luke, for nothing is impossible with God. When she heard of her cousin getting pregnant, knew that she was barren, that was the story within the family. Imagine every year showing up to the party. How are you guys doing? Zachariah, yeah, still in the temple, still burning incense, still talking to God. Yeah, well, Elizabeth, nah, she's still no kids. Man, that's gotta be pretty hard for you, huh, Zachariah? Yeah, yeah. But Mary hears of this, that she becomes pregnant. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she says there is nothing impossible with God. In this season, look for God to do the impossible. But also this in Luke 1.38, Mary responds that I am God's servant. I will do this. I have seen and heard what you've asked me to do, and I will serve you in this way. In this season, when he shows up in a divine way, be willing to serve him in a humble way, all right? The second is this. Look for your God-given purpose and pathway. Your God-given purpose and pathway. Look for it. Behold, watch for it. John 1, through 23. Finally, he said, these words are so strong. Who are you? This will make sense in just a moment. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John was responding to people questioning him about who he is, what he was here to do. They said, who are you? We also see this in Luke 3, 2 through 6. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, in the desert place, right? A lot of times we don't like to go there, but it's where we hear from God the most. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Not that everybody has to be baptized to be forgiven of sins, but it's a outward confession of an inward change. So he preached this message saying, make sure that you've asked for forgiveness of your sins, reconciled yourself unto God and be baptized after you do that as an outward confession of this inward change, right? A forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill be made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. In this season, this is so important, look for your purpose, look For your pathway, as God divinely shows up, he will show you what you're to do. John the Baptist, this was so important for him. Think about it. Think about it. He is known as the last prophet in this way, someone that was preparing the way for Jesus. Do you think it was a hard message after centuries of silence? Do you think this was a hard message for John to be like, hey guys, listen, I know I look a little crazy. I may sound a little crazy, but I know I'm here to share with you that someone's coming and I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He's amazing. The one who's gonna come, I baptize with water. He'll baptize with the spirit. The one that's gonna come, he's gonna change your life forever because he's gonna give you eternal life. The one that's gonna come is gonna make me look like I am absolutely nothing, but this is my purpose and this is my path and I will walk it. When he shows up in your life in divine ways, listen because he'll give you your purpose and the pathway 
that you're to travel in this life for him. The third thing is this. You have to look for your divine opportunity. This is a season of divine things happening for your divine opportunity. Do you ever feel like sometimes you, you get to a point in life, and I felt this a lot lately, I was made for this. This moment I was created for. And, and one of those moments when we were at our celebration service, and all of you guys were up in that building filling it up, praising God, right? This is what we're made for. That moment, divine opportunity. And then as we were talking about Circle of Friends, you know, a ministry that meets at, at First Baptist Church, we talked about it's a feeding ministry, okay? In the beginning, scared to death because, man, who do we have in our church that's willing to help open and close the building? Who's going to be willing to make food and help if we need to, you know, in this transition? Who can do it from First Baptist? But this past weekend, I felt like God said as we were making that hot chocolate, getting ready to give it out on the street, right, from our facility, he said, this is my church. If you don't treat it well and you don't use it as a community church, it'll be gone. Because we're made for that. That building's made for that. We're made for that. It's a divine opportunity. For John, it was a little different here. This was a switch in the plans, but it was so important because he knew this was the divine moment that he was to speak and that his people who were following him needed to listen. Listen to this. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. Where? I picture John in this moment sitting on the side of the road, the temple maybe offset just a little bit. He's there with his disciples. People are coming and going. They're getting ready for the morning sacrifices, the end of the day sacrifices of the, the sacrificial lamb that would take away sin. So Jesus is walking. John is sitting with his disciples hanging out. And this is where we hear these words. Okay. The next day, after the first time you heard him say this, he says it again. The next day, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. The divine opportunity here for John was, do I hold my disciples to myself and continue to build my preparatory ministry, right? Or do I release them to the one who I was preparing everybody for? This was John's divine opportunity. Say, guys, listen, everything I've said, you, said to you, everything I've talked about, it's about this moment right now. You need to leave me and you need to follow him because what you're gonna do with him is gonna be greater than you could do with me, right? So John the Baptist on that road steps back a little bit and says, guys, there he is. That's the one. That's the sacrificial lamb, the once and for all. You see these little <laughs> lambs coming down here, but that's not, no. He is the one. Right away, they get up. And they follow. One of them being Andrew. Andrew is known for bringing people to Jesus, isn't he? The first thing he does is he tells his brother, and then his brother comes. So I'm in Peter, right? Do we know him at all? Right? Yeah. Simon, reed blown by the wind. Peter, Petros, rock that I'll build my church upon. Okay? Because John did what he was supposed to do in his divine moment, his divine opportunity, the church began. Don't miss. Look for your divine opportunity because if you miss it, you never know what others will miss behind that decision. Very important.
divine opportunity. Fourth thing is look for God's evidence. Look for God's evidence. If you have children or you have that sloppy roommate, you always know when they come up in the room, don't you? I can always tell, God bless her heart, right, Kara? You can tell when Andalyn is in the house. You can tell when Andalyn's in the house. You can go in her Tasmanian devil lair called a room and see that she made snowflakes for the world, but they never made it out. And then you can see that she loves her little puppy and she loves her little animals and she loves this because the whole magic kingdom is right on my rug out in the middle of the living room. There is evidence that old girl is home and she's alive and well. You know what I'm saying by this? Evidence. This will make sense in just a moment. Luke 7, 18 through 19, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to, to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John's disciples were telling him things because John was in prison. John did the right thing. John followed his purpose and his plan and his pathway that God sent him for. Where did John end up? In a prison cell for preaching the good news, for telling the truth, for calling out people's sin. So he ends up where? In prison, hearing of what Jesus has done, hearing of what he said Jesus would do, but yet he's in prison and he doesn't even like his existence anymore because he begins to question, right? He begins to question himself. He's in prison. We also see that Matthew eleven two through four. And he feels as though he's been left behind, even questioning his existence himself. Luke seven twenty one through 23. <clears throat> At the very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers that John sent to him. He said this, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And he says, this is what's happening. The blind, John, listen, the blind receive sight. Listen, John, the lame, they walk. John, listen to me. Those who have leprosy that are defiled and not able to be within the camp have been placed out, but they're brought back in a reinstatement into life because those with leprosy, this disease, have been healed. John, listen to me, bro. I know you're not feeling this right now, but the deaf hear. The deaf hear, John, are, are you listening to me? Can you hear this? The dead are raised. Huh. People that are dead are coming back to life, John. Okay, are you hearing this? And the good news is proclaimed to the poor, not just to those that deserve it, John, but to everybody. I know you see the prison cell. I know you see the bars. I know you feel the cold. I know your sleeping quarters aren't great. But John, listen to me, bud. Listen to me. Because you followed your purpose and your pathway for life, all of this is happening, John, because of you. And I think these messengers, before they went back, because it says he sent them away, I feel like the conversation was starting and the messengers were listening, right, to this next point. It'll make perfect sense that, that even though they were being sent away, they were still listening, okay? And what were they listening to? This, God's evidence, yes, but this, God's reaffirmation. They were listening to this. After John's messengers left, this is what I'm saying. I feel like they were still kind of just in earshot to hear this. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. They listened to what he said to the messengers, 
But now Jesus was also talking to them about this guy, John, who sent these messengers. And this is what he said. Worship team, you guys could start to make your way up. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What did you go out there to see? Why did you leave the comfort of home to go in the desert place? What did you go out to see? What were you expecting, right? One of those big questions. Who are you? What did you go out to see? All right. A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Again, we know John, I don't know how much he even bathed and his dreadlocks, he probably looked pretty nasty. Did you go out to see somebody in Gucci and Prada? No, you didn't go to the mega church with the pastor that was all polished or even the not mega church where the guy looks pretty decent. You didn't go there. (laughs) That's not where you went. That's not what you went for. You went to the desert right? And you didn't go for somebody who had it all together from the outside, okay? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. <laughs> Where was John now? Prison. Not even in a palace or even close. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Like I said before, John was known as like the last prophet, if you will. The last one to say the Messiah is coming. And then right away, there he was. You went out to see somebody that spoke truth. You went out to see somebody that represented God. You went out to see a prophet and that's what you got. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus says it wasn't just a prophet, it was the one that worked so hard to chip away the road so that we could put a road even there. It was the one that worked so hard to make sure that people would even wake up and know that I was coming. It was the one that was sent before me that took basically a vow of poverty and lived out in the woods. That's who you went to see. Not me sitting up here doing all these miracles and all Beautiful and handsome Jesus, like we see in the pictures, like we pulled out of First Baptist Church. One of them, I'm like, he is handsome. (laughs) No, you went out to see a prophet. I tell you, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He was saying this. Listen, you went out to see somebody that was going to change things for the future. And what did you get? You got him. But now you have me. And this is what's so great. When it comes to reaffirmation, John needed to hear this. And that's why I think the disciples may have still been a little close where they could hear how much Jesus loved John so they could tell him that too. Because John in prison, not the palace, in the darkest place of his life for telling the truth and doing the right thing and speaking truth and doing his job felt like he just couldn't even make it anymore. And he doubted God. And in this moment, he received his reaffirmation. John, keep plugging along. Don't stop being who you are, who you were created to be. You can do it. Even though you're in this tough spot, John, people are being healed. John, people are coming to the saving knowledge of God through me that I am the Messiah. What you said, John, don't stop. 
So my question for you today is twofold. You know, I always end with a question and a challenge, and I don't like it to be an emotional decision or anything like that. Will you, like those disciples that day, choose to follow Jesus? Because that's the most divine opportunity you have in life is to follow Jesus. That is it. That's your first decision you can make. Also, the other question is this. Do you need a reaffirmation, a reinstatement, a little punch in the arm or maybe in the gut to get you going today knowing who you are? Those are the two questions. And I'm going to ask you to respond in just a moment. But I want you to think about that. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you following him every single day? Do you find yourself right now that you need to look and behold God in your life again and be reaffirmed in your calling?